Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Better business and a better life begin here. Welcome to Business is Art on True Chat with author and business consultant, John Umstead. Hey, thank you for tuning in to Business is Art today. That was our brand new opening for the show. Hope you liked it. We're going to be talking about the value of research. We have a great guest on today. Her name is Crystal Ward. She is a PhD and we're going to, and she is a qualitative researcher. So we're going to get into that. And I want to tell you a little bit first why that's important to you. You know, we live in a day and age where there is data everywhere, whether we purposely, willfully give up some of our own data or not, whether our clients, customers, etc., give up some of their own data or not, uh, data is everywhere. It's what we do with that data that's important. And that begins with research uh, and turning that data into information. If you don't know your customers, if you don't know your employees, if you don't know enough about yourself, you stand a pretty bad chance of running a, a good business. And so we're going to get into some of those things with, uh, with Dr. Ward today. So appreciate her being here. Appreciate you all tuning in to listen to this. Do please reach out to us and let's get underway. Welcome to the show, Krista. Well, thank you, John, for having me. And as you noted earlier, data is everywhere. And what we want to make sure that we do is we think of it as a positive. We want to make sure that we are understanding the importance of, of, of collecting data and it's not a bad thing. So it's, a, it's great that you're doing this podcast. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a very interesting topic and I think very timely as well. You know, there's been so much in the news about uh, data and and sharing of data and that sort of thing. But there's a whole there are a whole lot of legitimate uses of that data out there as well. So I think we need to be cognizant of that and make sure that we're presenting both sides of any particular argument around data and information, um, because that's what you and I are going to be talking about is those legitimate uses of uh, uh, data and turning it into information. So what is the difference between qualitative research and other types of research? I think one of the biggest differences, or at least from my perspective, is the fact that qualitative research allows us to really kind of delve in deeper to human behavior. We can certainly quantify things, and there's certainly a a level of importance of being able to do that. But from my perspective as a researcher, what I like the most is it's a it's beyond the numbers and it's about people and there's a pl- time and a place for, for for quantitative researchers but but we can no longer ignore the fact that 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 human behavior that um, that interaction with our products the needs and desires of our users and consumers are very important and you can get at that with qualitative research more than you can get at it with a um, a, a quantitative study type study where you just do surveys and they have to answer in these predefined categories already. So I think um, from a larger research standpoint in trying to understand human behavior, that's where qualitative research uh, has the advantage over quantitative. But but as researchers, we know that, that a combination of the two of the research methods are probably what will yield us the, the most usable data. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we use words like qualitative, you know, people start thinking about statistics and <laughs> turning off. And uh, so, yeah, I, I like I like uh, storyteller as well. And we've actually been talking a lot about storytelling, telling your story, telling a story that resonates with your customers uh, quite a bit here lately on the Business Art podcast. So it's really timely from that perspective as well. But I, I definitely appreciate that moniker as opposed to qualitative researcher. And I apologize if this is putting you on the spot, but I wonder if you could give us a a, a real life example to help put it in context for our listeners. Let's just say that I wanted to, that I'm a market researcher and I'm doing market research on a company and I want to um, find out who might buy my product um, and I want to to find out um, who are the best customers and what their buying habits might be, then it might be um, much better for me to do a quantitative study because then I can really just, I can count the numbers. And I started to say just as though there, there's there's some kind of negative there, but it, it certainly isn't. But but there are certain things that we need to know when we ask our, our questions and certain Research projects are div- driven by quantitative data, such as the one that I was just saying when, when I want to know just a little bit more about my particular customer, where they might be, who might be in the market to buy the product. That's absolutely wonderful when you want to, to count things. When I want to find out, I have this great app that I've created, but I want to find out how, how, how is it functioning? What purpose is it serving my user? And I will, might sit back and I'll say, okay, well, it would be really wonderful if I could get them to actually use the app. 
Once they do, where is it that they that they might be confused? Where is it that um, how can I use that particular point and um, develop my app a little bit better? So there are different times in which the, the different um, research methods are, are uh, advantageous. And it just depends, and this is very important, it depends on the overall question guiding your research or the purpose of you doing it to begin with. So let's begin diving into that a little bit. And, and, and maybe you've addressed it at a high enough level uh, to really have responded to this question. But um I did want to ask specifically about qualitative research and how it does compare to quantitative research and other types of research. Well, I think one of the the main things that you have to to start with is you um, you you have to ask yourself as a startup or as a uh, larger business, do I value the voice of my customer? And 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 if the and the answer to that should be yes, um, but if the answer uh, you know to that is yes, then you need to start thinking about what's the best way to reach that customer. Um, where can I collect data? Where can I collect their thoughts and uh, opinions? And then once you have done that, it's not just kind of a free for all. I'll just take everything. And 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 um, uh, try to make sense of it. There there is a little bit of a science, if you will, and just in terms of being able to ter- to determine what is um, valuable information. So if you look at your, um, for example, I do a lot of work with social media and social media posts, and and you can definitely go on to your sites as a company and you can see the way that your consumers are using social media to to voice their opinions. And uh, and, and for, for the most part, up until just fairly recently, in the last uh, 10 years or so, uh, we, we kind of, we didn't ignore that data, but it really wasn't something that always came to the forefront when we were determining um, how we should listen to our particular users. But now we know we, we absolutely cannot ignore the valuable information that we gain from our um, users on social media sites. Um, if you, the, the latest research I think that, that, that I read is that um, 88% of, of um, some of the decisions that are made from a purchasing standpoint are based on online reviews. And these are on, on online reviews. So you have all of this data that, that's there. It's unstructured and it's there available for you. So not something you're necessarily even going out to purposely collect. It's just there. But if you take if you take into consideration that, that all of that data um, is being produced and used from people who don't even necessarily know who's posting that. So you're not talking about people who are going next door to their neighbors and finding out more information about a particular product. They're getting it from strangers. They're making decisions on their buying patterns from from complete strangers. So you have to you, you have to get beyond saying, well, that data doesn't matter and actually take it and find out ways in which you can use it to produce strategy. 
Yeah, yeah. And there's a couple of points that I'd like to to make right here. Um, one is that, you know, we're, we're using the, the word customer um, fairly loosely here. I want to make sure everybody understands that it's not necessarily that someone is buying something from you. Um, your customers may be internal to your organization, be it a, prop, a for-profit or a non-profit. Um, Krista, right now, uh, I'm presently teaching a course on organizational development and change. And this is exactly one of the things that that we emphasize in that coursework is that, you know, whether you, whether you are a paid uh, uh, organizational development change practitioner or, you know, that's coming in from the outside or whether that's your role permanent or temporary within an organization, it's really important to listen to the voice of the customer, however you're defining the customer. And, and in this case, we're talking about an internal customer um, because otherwise you're, you're just coming up with stuff and trying to introduce change uh, that they don't understand, they're not going to be on board with, and it might be uh, really completely non-productive because you're kind of doing it in a vacuum. So I just wanted to make that point that customer is not necessarily that person that is that is buying your product, paying you cash money for whatever it is that you're selling. There's all kinds of definitions for the word customer. So we're talking about the broader sense of the word here. The other thing I wanted to point out uh, you know, you were talking about the the availability of data that's just there, that's just there. And a, a real key is that, or a real issue, I think, challenge, is that most people, first, don't know that it's there. And second, if they know it's there, they have no idea what to do with it. And so we talk on, on this show all the time about you know, you don't have to be an expert in everything and, and you shouldn't try to be. So when it comes to topics like this and, and disciplines like this, it's best to reach out to experts such as yourself and and hire in some of that help uh, because uh, it can be the difference between uh, survival or, or, or falling by the wayside. And I think you made some really good points, John, and that is is that you you have to be able to um, understand how to analyze the data. And it, it, it doesn't necessarily take an expert, but just someone who kind of has the conceptual foundation. And I think that's very important. Um, you mentioned nonprofits and the way that we're, we're kind of constructing the idea of a consumer. And I guess the, the best way to look at this is audience. Um, but the the other day, I did kind of a little bit of a um, a quick analysis on uh, Facebook reviews for this particular nonprofit. And um, the person who's doing their social media strategy and looked at it and just said, well, you know, I can count that there are 15 likes. And I thought, well, that's absolutely wonderful. But but what exactly does that mean? So I went in and I looked at some of the reviews for for their particular page. And some things that I found out was that they talked about um, most of their positive reviews going beyond a sentiment analysis. Most of their positive reviews talked about the trust that they had in the person who was leading the organization. And so if you if you just think about that alone, that's huge for an organization that relies on donations and it's a nonprofit. And we know if we've been paying attention that some of the problems that people have with nonprofit is not being able to trust leadership. So the fact that they said that they came out and said that they trust leadership and this was unsolicited. 
So the fact that they came out and said that, that is something that you can, you can build upon. You can build content. You can create con- content around something like that. But, but, but not everyone would pick up on that and go with it. Speaking of picking up and going with it, I'm going to I'm going to piggyback on a couple of things that you said in order to uh, to talk about True Chat's mission here. So you talked about sentiment and trust, and that's one of the things that we really try to instill at True Chat. So, in fact, uh, True Chat, there's nothing more important to us than upholding our mission and. That mission is that True Chat will be the mortal enemy of speculation, innuendo, and stagnation. We'll champion informed opinions and fresh ideas. True Chat will prove that media can be trusted, relied on, and responsible. We won't join the media elite because we're setting a new standard. It's a higher standard. It's the True Chat standard. Now, if you have any uh, ethical concerns with today's episode, please email ethics at truechat.org. Again, that's ethics at T-R-U-E-C-H-A-T. Dot org. All right, so let's get back to the topic but uh, at hand. But first, don't forget, if, uh, if you want to join the discussion, tweet us at truechat-o-r-g and leave a comment uh, uh, or, or go out to our website or our app and, and talk to us. We want to hear from you. So back to Krista Ward talking about qualitative research. Um, and uh, let's move a little bit deeper into the, the topic if we can, Krista. So why do you see or do you see more of a reluctance um, to this type of research at major companies than you do at, say, a startup? Or is the reluctance level about the same? I would say that it's it's probably a little bit higher on the startups, but it's for practical reasons, not because they don't believe in the value of research, but a lot of times it, it deals with money. Uh, if you take, for example, that you could spend twelve to eighteen thousand dollars to do usability testing, that might not that doesn't seem like a lot of money. Of course, not for a major corporation, but for a for a startup to spend that kind of money on research, it can be quite a daunting task. So it's not that they don't want to do it. It's just, it's, it's practical reasons. And then um, you also have to think about the lack of understanding of how to go about finding someone to do research for, for, for startups, because um, they might not come from a, a background in which research is valued, and they might not even know how to go about um, putting together a study or approaching people to put together a study. Whereas larger companies, they have entire departments in some case in which that is what they do. And where they might fall, falter a little bit is still not necessarily understanding the value of doing research ahead of time during the whole entire process as, a, as opposed to waiting. And, you know, that kind of relates to uh, some discussion we had on a, on a recent episode of Businesses Art where we talked about actually my own uh, kind of learning curve uh, with my own startup and how we had to set uh, priorities due to budget and expertise and accessibility and all that sort of things. That there were some things that constrained us to focusing first on uh, product validation and development um, and uh, and we put aside things like a go-to-market strategy because there just wasn't enough resource to to get to it until we reached a certain point now we've kind of pivoted and we're and we're going that way and um but 
even though we were kind of putting that go-to-market strategy uh, aside or postponing it a bit, we weren't completely ignoring it. And we were doing some things, like I mentioned, product validation. And we found inexpensive ways to um, to validate what it is that we were doing with Plan Canvas um, through, you know, beta testing. We got volunteers who were actually truly members of our target uh, market to agree to be beta testers. And they got free use of the software for a number of months, as well as some free consulting. And we've done some additional free consulting in order to develop some case studies and that sort of thing. So even if you don't have a budget, um, you can find ways to get to some of this information. And like you said, some of it's just there. It's just out there available to anyone willing to look for it. To your point, you do have to get a little bit more creative sometimes, such as giving them um, free services or or things of that nature to get people in your target audience to participate in their research. And, And I think the other thing that often happens with startups is they think that they need to have a um, hundred or more uh, testing their their product. When if you understand some of the usability research, often it is a very small uh, body that is actually doing the testing. I've sat in uh, testing where they've made major major decisions on where there were a total of ten people. And, and it can be done with that because what you're what you're saying is is we're going to watch ten people walk through our app, and if we if we had ten or thirty or fifty or forty more people, would their experience really be that much different? And and you can learn so much from having the small groups. That's the value of qualitative research because the goal is never to quantify it; it's to get that rich data so that you so that you can move on. Yeah, and, and you know a lot of what we're talking about is is s- structured, whether it's high budget, low budget, no budget. But there's also the concept of unstructured data, and we may have talked about some examples there inadvertently. But what is unstructured data, and uh, why is it a growing trend in research? That can be um, anything from your your documents, spreadsheets, emails, presentations, web searches, and what I've already mentioned, uh, some of the social media data that you can collect. But but basically, it's 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 anything that that doesn't fit into the predefined categories that a lot of the structured data fits into, and and it's about eighty percent of most of the data that we that businesses collect is unstructured data. And and again, as I mentioned, that's where you're getting the that's where you're getting the real thoughts and opinions from your 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 customers, your users, your audience. That's the juice. Yes, it, it, it is. It is. We were afraid of that, I think, for so long, but you, you just can't, you can't afford to be anymore. With all of this data, whether it's structured or unstructured or, or what have you, do you see any problems or risks with us relying too heavily on data from customers? I do, but I think it's um, a small risk because, as, as, as I mentioned before, you know, if you're if you're talking about eighty eight percent of your customer base getting their opinions from online reviews and things like that, if you if if you're so worried 
um, uh, that it may not be a positive thing, then you're willing to say that that you don't really care about what 80, 88% of your customer base says. So, so, so you want to make sure that you don't do that. But, but, but as someone who studies, especially the social media posts, is every single post that comes along um, important? Well, um, no. But you have to think about it a little bit differently. Maybe it, I might not put so much weight on it, but it can still tell me something. To me, that's really important, too, because there's kind of an axiom out there that that says that, you know, most businesses target that 3% of the potential market that's already looking for whatever it is that you have to sell ignoring virtually the remaining 97% who maybe aren't looking right now, but probably will be at some point in time. And, um, uh, you know, if, if, if you have this information, well, let's start with the data. If you have the data and turn it into information that you can use to get to that 97%, you're going to do so much better with your business. But, but you have to be watching for it. When you are looking at the unstructured data, um, such as social media posts, you have to be um, scanning through it and, and, and looking for those moments in which you can say, I don't have this product out right now, but, but look at what they said about what might be wrong with that with the product the way it currently is. How can I take that and shift it? I did um, a, an analysis on... Uh, social media posts for um, patients who have rheumatoid arthritis. And it was along the theories of um, a pharmaceutical company creating a new product. And, and what I found, and it was a small data set though, but what I found was is that most of the people who, their target audience, they were um, not really clear on exactly what having that disease meant. And they were not really clear on the specific medications that they needed to take, whether it had to be traditional or they could do some alternative medicine. So if you take that data, you as a pharmaceutical company can deduce that perhaps you might need to create some way to serve as a resource to educate them a little bit more about a a particular product. And then you can come along and you can look at the specifics just in terms of what does this medication give them that the other one doesn't have and and, and things of that nature. But the first thing you need to, to, to start with is the fact that people just are not really educated about the disease. So, so you start there and then you develop your products based on, on delving a little bit deeper into the data. But, but sometimes it is just you recognizing that something isn't right. How can I, how can I make it better? And, and, and I think that's a real good uh, kind of umbrella summary of what, what I'd like to ask you. But, you know, you're, you do this stuff for a living. So you, you know what you're doing. You're, you're well-educated. You're well-experienced. Um, average entrepreneur, uh, startup, uh, even businesses, the small businesses particularly that have been around for a while, they don't do this stuff, right? They don't, they don't know how don't, and often don't know where to begin. So, you know, beginning with the problem is, is a great place to start. But otherwise – what are some of the best ways to analyze uh, some of this data, especially the unstructured data? And once you have it, how, how do you how do you present it 
to key stakeholders? Yeah, you know, the, one of the key things, and, and you mentioned this and we mentioned it earlier, is you need to make sure that you have your end goal in mind. Because if you don't, then then, then this unstructured data can lead you down so many different paths that, that it will not make sense. So you keep your end goal in mind. But but as I'm saying that, I, I do want to point out that one of the things that you want to make sure that even if you have your end goal in mind, that you're listening to what the data tell you. So that you don't go in so fixated on um, uh, coming out with a particular answer that you don't pay attention. So you want to make sure that you keep your goal in mind, but it's not so rigid that you don't listen to to what the data is telling you. And, and when you are presenting this to key stakeholders, and this goes back to that storytelling aspect that I was uh, mentioning earlier, and you have to be able to put together a story and it has to nine times out of ten, it needs to be a quick one, especially if your your stakeholders are CEOs and people who have very little time. It often needs to be a, a quick story. And one of the ways that you can do this, especially with unstructured data. And there are certainly, uh, there's a lot of software out there that can help you do this, but this is where the expertise comes in. And that is being able to put it into kind of thematic categories. And to understand that, you know, sentiment analysis is absolutely wonderful. A lot of times when people are using unstructured data, they will use, well, did they have a positive, negative or neutral opinion about something? Absolutely wonderful. But then you have to move beyond that. When they, this positive, negative, uh, neutral sentiment, what does it tell me? What can I think about beyond that? And that's when you start getting into putting uh, things in themes. The um, rheumatoid, rheumatoid arthritis study that I was telling you about, when I was looking at that data, I, I began by doing the sentiment analysis and I could put them in the, the positive, negative and neutral categories. But then I started looking at, okay, so they're saying, they're saying negative things, but what are they saying? What are the negative things that they're saying? And mainly it was, I have no idea how to really um, deal with this. Is this, is this as bad as having cancer? Do you know things? Things of that nature is is what that they were saying, and and you so you have to be able to take that data and say, how can I put this into a, a category so it can make sense to the key stakeholders? So we have an opportunity to create a resource to educate people about this particular disease. And you mentioned something uh, very important that that we also mentioned sort of early in the podcast that I want to repeat. Uh, you know, Krista, it's it's okay. There are a lot of people out there that um, can maybe see the data but really can't make sense of it. They can't uh, come up with those themes uh, and those stories. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with not being able to do that on your own. There's everything wrong with not doing it, though, or having it done on your behalf. So, again, folks that are listening, if you if you know you've got to do this stuff and you know it's not in your wheelhouse, um, spend a little money. It doesn't have to cost a lot. Uh, there are all kinds of 
uh, relatively inexpensive options for you out there. Go out and hire experts such as Krista and do your own homework. And, and that's what this is really all about. This is about doing your homework, right? So um, make sure you're doing that. Absolutely. And I could, couldn't agree more with saying doing your homework. It's very hard for um, us to be experts on everything. But when we get into the situation where we only try to be experts in, in, in our own space, then that becomes problematic. You, you definitely want to educate yourself just a little bit more on, um, on how to deal with data. I have been in meetings where you have everybody from the researcher to the developer to the, the, the developer's boss to the director of whatever department it happens to be done. So you have all of these people having a seat at the table and all of them have some kind of grasp on how to interpret the data and what they want from the data. Right. Okay, Krista, we are running out of time. Uh, so I do want to, uh, again, just ask listeners to uh, to get out there and join the discussion. Tweet us at TrueChat. O-R-G, that's true chat, uh, O-R-G. Um, we want to hear your thoughts. We want to field your questions to the best of our abilities and um, help you to help yourselves. So before we wrap up, Krista, uh, any final advice you might like to leave our listeners with? One thing I would definitely say is to find those resources out there that where you can just have a general understanding of the importance of research. So if you're a startup, you can say, this is what I'm expecting from a um, researcher just based on kind of a cursory uh, exploration into what should be done. Very good advice. We've been talking about the value of research with qualitative researcher and storyteller, Krista Ward, uh, Dr. Ward to you students in the classroom. So Krista, before we get out of here, where can people find you, your work, or any special cause you might like to mention? I would like to mention Fortune Now, which is a really great nonprofit organization that's working to, to connect for generations um, so that they can create startups and get fundings. It's just an amazing way in which um, you can share ideas. And I happen to do a lot of research for them. So that's a good organization and also a place where you can reach me. Okay, Krista, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for mentioning ForGen Now. We've actually had them on the on Businesses Art as well. And uh, it's a good cause, a good organization, and uh, with a great mission. So thank you for supporting it. Um, and thanks again for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, John, for having me. It was a, it's a great discussion. So to our listeners out there, check out True Chats podcast on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. You can also listen and let us know what you think of today's episode by going to our website, truechat.org, or downloading the True Chat app. For Businesses Art on True Chat, I'm your host, John Umstead. Again, thank you very much for tuning in. Our guest has been Krista Ward. We've been talking about the value of research. We'll see you next time on Businesses Art. Be the change.
for responsible media? Listen on demand to politics, sports, and more with the True Chat app or at truechat.org. Beyond the horizon, there is trustworthy media at True Chat. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.